Welcome to Chapter 8 of the Storyteller Podcast. A big thank you to Mark and Marina, who took the time to go to my Patreon page and donate. I'm really trying to keep advertisements from interrupting my stories. I hope you'll take a second and visit patreon.com forward slash Adam James and sign up. For as little as $1, you can become one of my patrons. You'll have access to tons of exclusive content. I love telling you stories and spend hundreds of hours creating these podcasts. Please help keep my passion alive. Okay, sit back, relax, and let's escape to Arona. Chapter 8 of Arona, King Elden After stuffing ourselves with some of the best food I had ever eaten, a small, sharply dressed Elden walked over to where the king had been sitting. Are you finished? he asked. Yes, thank you, it was delicious, replied Drew as he stood up. Do you not like Elden food? he asked, looking at Cubby, who still hadn't eaten anything. Uh, I'm not hungry, mumbled Cubby who just stared down at his lap. Could you please follow? He asked, gesturing towards the spiral staircase that ran down the inside of the tree. We followed him down one level out of the expansive circular palace and onto a long, narrow, curved bridge. The bridge connected the palace to the very top of one of the nearby smaller trees. The wind hissed, and I looked down over thousands of feet of open air. My legs wobbled slightly as I stood myself back up straight, feeling faint at the sight of how high we were up. You will be staying in some of our guest homes, in the branches of Vigo, this great Torina tree you see before you. She is well over 30,000 years old, and will take good care of you. We finally came to the end of the bridge, and then started descending down one side of the tree, down one of those elevator-like platforms. We were expecting guests of your size, so you'll have to excuse the sleeping arrangements. I hope you will be comfortable regardless. He held his stubby arms out showing us a cluster of tiny homes we'd seen throughout the city, each one resting upon a web of smaller branches. I didn't see how they could be able to hold our weight. Don't be worried. The older the Torina tree is, the stronger its branches. Sleep well, I will leave you now. Someone will come for a slight to guide you to Don Mill. Choose any house that suits you, he said rushing off, before we could even say thank you. I'm gonna go check on Jack, said Drew. I'll catch up with you guys later. You mean check on Marin? teased Cubby. Drew looked back and tried hard not to smirk before rushing down the walkway back to the wounded. Good night, said Cubby as he ducked his head and quickly went into the door of the first house we came to. I kept walking until I spotted one that seemed to float in the open air. The dark gray shingled roof came to a sharp, elongated point with a beautifully carved wooden eagle perched atop. Most of the homes looked like this, though I noticed the eagles were unique to each home. The one on my roof had its wings wide open, with one talon connecting to the highest point of the roof. I made my way up the tiny spiral staircase that led into a single room home, warm from the crackling fire. It had little round cross windows and matching half-circle shutters. I noticed the tiny bed had been stripped of its bedding, and on the floor was a plethora of pillows and several large blankets made from the softest silky material I had ever felt. I gathered the blankets in a pile and flopped down, immediately yawning. I closed my eyes, and as soon as my head hit those impossibly soft fibers, my mind calmed. I fell asleep in a moment. The next thing I knew, I was waking up to the now familiar sound of Elden horns. I had slept heavily for the first time on Arona. 
I looked out through the wavy glass of one of my little round windows and could see elven warriors coming out of their houses in droves. With weapons in their hands, they quickly mounted their eagles before flying out of sight. Hundreds of mounted eagles dove past me from their homes above. Still half asleep, I stumbled out into the balcony before remembering how high it was. I got my bearings and looked to see if my brothers were awake. Something big is going on, yelled Drew as he carefully leaned over his balcony rail and peered down. I looked below and saw a moving sea of elk, gathering from all throughout the pasture and lining up in perfectly organized formations. I watched several of those fox-like creatures running to and fro, Eldons on their backs, organizing the troops for battle. Cubby came out of his house, looking like he had just woken up as well. Just then, an eagle flew up and landed on the small perch next to Drew. Our scouts have found the war party that destroyed the village, yelled the Elden on the eagle. They go to hunt them now. Without any instructions for us, he dove back down below to join the others. I'm going down to help him, yelled Drew, running down the narrow plank that led from his house toward the trunk of the tree. Drew, wait! I called after him, but it was too late. Either he didn't hear me or he didn't care, and he continued down the staircase. He's so stubborn, I thought. It was usually a good thing, but sometimes it was so annoying. If there was a league of justice that toured the world fighting for the rights of the weak, Drew would want to be their leader. I'd watched him fight for the little guy several times in my life. It's an honorable characteristic, but tend to get him in a lot of trouble. Unfortunately, I was usually caught in the crossfire. I could never stand by when one of my brothers entered an unfair fight. None of us could, though I think my brothers enjoyed it much more than I did. We've got to stop him! I yelled to Cubby as I took off running down the stairs after him. Wait, I've got to get dressed first! shouted Cubby as he ran back in his house. Cubby was always game for a fight, regardless if it was just or not. I didn't wait. I ran as fast as I could, skipping the tiny steps as much as possible. By the time I finally reached the bottom, I was completely out of breath and had lost sight of Drew. Groups of elk passed by me, kicking up dirt as they galloped ahead. I hurried along the small footpaths and over several wooden bridges towards the main gate. Horns continued to blur out as countless eagles flew overhead. Finally, I made it to the main wooden avenue that ran below the city, and I could see the last of the elk leave before the gate closed. There was no sight of Drew. I stopped running, exhausted, and slowly walked forward, staring in awe at the towering height of the city walls and the gate in front of me. They wouldn't let me go, said Drew's voice to my right. I looked over and could see him sitting down on the banks of the wide moat that ran both on the inside and outside of the walls. They said the matter didn't involve me. Good, it doesn't. You can't just run off like that alone. Please, Drew, we need to stick together. Yeah, you're right, I just... The thought of that village makes me sick. I mean, they, they burnt those little children alive. Well, I think our little Elden friends are going to get some sweet revenge. Don't worry, Drew. Look at these fish, he said, as he continued to stare down into the clear, flowing water. Brightly colored fish of all colors and sizes were swimming inside the moat. Unlike the black fish from the lake, these fish look tropical. Some of them are huge. It looks like this is all man-made. You can see the stonework. I mean, they've redirected a lot of these small natural streams so that they flow into the moat. There are rows of large, round, moss-covered boulders at the bottom and along the sides, making for easy sitting while fishing. I bet this is where they get a lot of their food, I said. Let's go look around. Cubby joined us, and we all spent most of that day exploring the land below the city, inside the walls. Game of all kind ran freely throughout the pastures and streams. The area inside the city walls was expansive. There weren't any houses down below on the ground, but there were many large storage sheds. 
Inside, we found bags of feed and harvest from the many fields. The pastures were also scattered with other buildings that looked like water mills and stables. Plainly dressed Elden men and women worked the fields and would gather around us in curiosity as we explored. They'd smile and speak to us in their local tongue, which we couldn't understand. We walked for hours, several times seeing Leafen, that same Elden we had first caught stealing things in our camp. He'd always be in the strangest places and startled us a few times. He seemed to be obsessed with us and was always smiling or laughing when we'd see him in a hidden place. Eventually, we grew tired of walking and we thought we'd better go back and check on Jack and the others. That night, we were up at one of the mini sky fires, a type of bonfire atop an ingenious elevated stone and metal container built on a platform at the very top of the largest trees. The clouds seemed to pass below us, we were so high. We hadn't seen the king since he dove down on his eagle after dinner the night before, and we were assigned a cheery guide, who was the head English professor for the city. His name was Steve Odin, and he was very short, even for an Elden. He loved a joke, and described himself as 304 years old, but yet to hit me grossbert. He stood just under three feet tall, with silver bushy gray hair and a crooked nose but kind face. He was a delight to be around, and very fond of his foul-tasting local brew, which he insists we continue to try. Are you enjoying your stay? asked Steve Odin. Are you comfortable? Yes, thank you very much for taking us in and for caring for our brother Jack, and, and Marin and Allie and the others, said Drew. We're very comfortable here. Good. I hear your brother is showing some signs of a recovery. I think you will be fine. He pulled a large piece of meat from the fire, almost as large as him, and took a tiny bite. Yeah, I think you will. I spoke to him the first time today, I agreed. Then I decided we'd been around each other long enough to ask him something personal. Steve Odin, how long has King Elden been the king of your people? Ah, now there's a good story, he said, looking into the skyfire deep in thought. It's been nearly a thousand years now. A fine story, a great story, and, and one I'm surprised you haven't heard yet. The perfect tale for a skyfire. He leaned back and began his tale. King Elden had come from a long line of chiefs who settled this land many thousands of years ago. He had just become chief of a small village of the people called the Utas, for his father had recently passed. At the time, the people lived scattered throughout the beautiful forest in small villages and tribes. The forest gave them everything they needed and more. One day, Chief Elden was meeting with his village elders, discussing the late harvest when a messenger arrived from a nearby village with terrible news. A scout from the Betlia tribe had told him that their neighbors, the Wiccans, had been attacked by mysterious outsiders. Their village was burned to the ground, and many of its people killed or taken hostage. In those times, such things were unheard of. The many villages had stopped fighting with one another generations before, and outsiders rarely entered their lands. The only fighting was the occasional late-night scuffle between the village drunks. It was a time of constant peace and great trade. Taken completely off guard, the young chief knew not what to do. He sent out many of his men with supplies to go and help the Wiccans repair their village. They returned several days later with more horrible news. No survivors were to be found, and another outlying village, the Jalians, had been destroyed. Chief Elden came up with a plan 
to create a highly mobile flying force of warriors, joining forces together with every village. Scouts would patrol for at least two days, flying in every direction. Then, once an enemy was spotted, the combined flying armies of the villages would attack them from the air in a surprise ambush before they could reach their target. The plan was successful, and the villages worked together to destroy many enemy warriors who turned out to be the Toronks, an evil kingdom of bloodthirsty earthmen far from here. Chief Elden's fame swelled, and soon a legend was born. Unlike other chiefs, Elden led his army personally. He was fierce and daring in battle, fighting on his eagle with great skill and unmatched bravery passionate about protecting all of our people, not just those of his tribe. His enemies grew more cunning and started to develop different strategies. They began to travel under the cover of darkness and hide during the day. More of my people's villages were captured, and their kinfolk became desperate for any type of victory. Even with this counteroffensive, news of Chief Elden's victory spread throughout the land. Hope was kindled. His army grew stronger as many warriors continued to leave their own villages and join the fight. And yet, even with this united front, new waves of Taronks continued to sneak into our lands, killing and enslaving our people. In those times, the villages had little defenses, making it easy for the Taronks to conquer them. Now you see, as soon as Chief Elden heard of the first invasion, he'd had his own people begin construction of a fortified city with high walls in place of his ancient village. Word spread of the stronghold, and refugees poured in for protection. Eventually, Chief Elden proposed a plan where all Eldens would live together in harmony, with each chief ruling jointly as a council member. He invited all to join him. Many came, many did not. Unfortunately, the villages that stayed to fight out on their own were eventually conquered, creating a steady flow of refugees. Hundreds of years passed, and the city grew into the sprawling city of Elden with even higher walls. The Tronks wiped out all the other villages, but this city held strong. After losing countless warriors and being unable to conquer the city of Elden after many attempts, the Tronks finally gave up and disappeared. Eventually, the people and their council members insisted on making Chief Elden the savior of our people, King Elden. The city became known as the City of Elden, and we became known as Eldens throughout all Arona. Centuries of peace followed, and ultimately, new Elden villages started to pop up where ancient ones once stood. Then, not long ago, the Taroks came again, striking without warning after eons of peace. These new attacks have deeply troubled our great king. I fear something terrible is brewing on Arona. I can feel it. Well, now it makes more sense why your people attacked us the way you did if you thought we were the Taronks in your land, remarked Drew. Right, and believe me, we are sorry for any injuries we have caused. Yes, well, enough about us and our troubles. I am a professor. Now you must tell me about yourselves. What is your profession? Do you have families? Well, we all do different things. Um, Jack owns a technology company called Zemo. Cubby is starting a restaurant. And Drew served in the military and is now trying to start a ranch. And, and I'm still trying to figure out what to do with my life. We all have children except for me and Drew, who, who are unmarried. 
Steve Odin looked confused, probably unfamiliar with some of the modern terms I was using to describe our vocations. Are you feeling sick, young man? He asked Cubby, who was so drunk he could barely sit. I helped him sit up, which seemed to startle him. I felt sorry for the state he was in. At home, he never really drank, but since we'd been to the city, he hadn't stopped. I assumed he was upset about our circumstance, though I avoided asking him about it so far. And what of your people? Tell me about them. Uh, what? Cubby replied, trying hard to concentrate. Our people? Uh, what do you mean? There's so much to... Suddenly, the familiar sounds of Elden horns began to blow, then more horns, followed by the same celebratory deep horns that played when we first arrived. Follow me! The war party has returned! said Steve Odin as he hurried to a circle on the other side of the skyfire. Everyone inside and hold on to the rails! We all entered the small circled area, and as soon as we were all in place, it began quickly dropping down from the high skyfire platform all the way down to the ground below. I looked for a counterweight or something, and I couldn't see it in the darkness. I told myself to ask Steve Odin later how it worked. As we got closer to the ground, I could see elk, which we learned were called Comras, running through the gate, and many fires being lit along the main wooden avenue. Elden eagles with warriors on their backs flew by us in the black sky, each with dimly lit candles encased in glass attached to the top of their eagle's heads. I looked up and could see thousands of lighted dots flying down from over the walls as we reached the ground. The prisoners will be taken to the center ground fire, said Steve Odin, starting to walk quickly towards the largest fire and the crowd of gathering and cheering Elden. I could see the same carts that were used to transport us when we were captured. As we got closer, we were able to make our way through the masses of Elden to get a better look. There, lying tied up and bloody, were men. Men just like us, but covered in tattoos. Each had their heads shaved and wore nothing but loincloths, with multiple leather bands on their arms, legs, and necks. I walked up to one of them, raising my voice over the cheers of the crowd. Who are you? Where are you from? He said nothing. Cubby looked at the man next to the one I had questioned, grabbing his face and forcing him to look him in the eyes. Are you from Earth? How long have you been here? He said nothing as well. However, he opened his mouth, letting out a hissing sound as he showed a nasty collection of blackened and rotten teeth. I stepped back from the cart, startled by his teeth. Each one had been shaved to a point, making him look particularly vicious. It was hard to believe. These were men just like us. They had darker skin and were a little shorter than us, but there was no doubt these were men from home, men from Earth. What were they doing here, and why were they dressed like this from another time, and had they come here the same way we had? My mind raced with questions as I stared into their dark, soulless eyes. Hello everyone, it's me, Adam James, from the Storyteller Podcast. I'm truly honored to see so many new listeners with each new episode from all around the world. The last time I counted, there were listeners from over a hundred countries. Please don't forget to review, subscribe, and share my podcast with your friends. If you can spare a dollar, please visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Adam James. Thanks to Andrew and Vlad, who recently donated. Every dollar counts. See you all again soon, right back here on Arona.